Week 11 has wrapped up, and we are so close to the three-quarter mark of the NFL regular season. The Cleveland Browns look like they might be in the playoff hunt, but then kind of had a meltdown on Thursday Night Football, and we'll be breaking down the NFC South. Welcome to the Goal Line Fade Podcast. Yeah, what an absolutely crazy week this week. Um, so to start, everyone saw this Thursday night game. Um, I'll be honest, it was a really boring game. I was sitting in a hotel in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Shout out to Calgary. And <laughs> I tuned out of the game like with five minutes left because it was just kind of boring. But man, did I miss a lot of kerfuffle. I think that's the only way to, to describe it is kerfuffle. Miles Garrett at the end of the game, takes down Mason Rudolph a little bit tough to the ground. Mason Rudolph objects. They get into a little tussle. And then it res- <laughs> resolves or results in Miles Garrett taking off Mason Rudolph's helmet and hitting him over the head with it. Daniel, you and I played football together. Um, we've both seen each other rather mad or stressed in football games, you know, wanting to make sure that we come out as the, the victor in the game. And I don't think I've ever had an impulse to hit someone with their own helmet. This is an interesting situation. Yeah, it was kind of the classic example of um, football becoming more than a game. You know, we've seen a lot of a lot of pretty crazy fights over the last few years. The Andre Johnson, Cortland Sutton one from a few years back Cortland comes to Finnegan. mind where they were or Cortland Finnegan, sorry, where they were throwing punches. <laughs> um, this stuff has happened. But seeing a player honestly just lose it, their, their team had won the game. It was completely over. Um, and Miles Garrett just lost control of his temper and I mean got what is what I would say a very justified suspension being done now for at the very least this regular and this postseason and it's indefinite so we'll see when he ends up coming back yeah it's um so I know that we've seen lots of tweets about the character Miles Garrett is off the field and it sounds like he's a really good guy it sounds like um you know this isn't resembling who he is on the football field but any action that resembles that on the football field and that Again, like someone said it, if this would have happened on the streets of any city, this guy would be going to prison or would be facing some sort of criminal charge. So for something like that, like he has to serve this penalty. It's uh, I think it's quite justified. On the other side, Mason Rudolph did sort of get this going. And I, I will never argue that it was a justif- or it was justified for Miles Garrett to hit him with his helmet. But Mason Rudolph didn't play any um, positive role in this either. He was Oh, his, his press conferences have been driving me nuts lately. Um, he took the first few and said some things that were, I don't know, just made him look like a, <laughs> not a great guy. And then I recently, just this morning, I saw him reading off a, a paper that the Steelers gave him to read off of. And just through the whole thing, he just has not had a, in my opinion, has not handled it all that well or has not had a good mentality about it. So, um, yeah, it just drives me nuts. But anyways, so yeah, Miles Garrett suspended. It is, for the it's rest really of- amazing to me. It's really amazing to me. Adam was a quarterback and he has been a harsher critic of Mason Rudolph through this entire thing than I have been. I, I keep hearing people try to say like, Oh, Rudolph initiated it. Rudolph went for this. Like, I don't even care. Garrett pushed such a crazy line. Like he, he broke every gentleman's rule that football has. Like, I don't care what Rudolph did. Sure. He pushed it. Like he pushed the envelope a little bit, but that was a normal football thing that he did. And Garrett just lost it. I don't understand anybody bringing in Mason Rudolph as some sort of, um, but like Mason loser in this tried, situation. Mason Rudolph tried to rip off Miles Garrett's helmet, and he was, you know, like looked like he was trying to kick him in a special place that you don't want to be kicked. You know, like he was just doing a lot of things that just that really pissed me off. Like it, it just he was playing the victim, but yet causing all that, like 
you know, starting the fights and then playing victim, which I don't know. There was way too much talk about this on Twitter, way too many people weighing in, and I don't necessarily want to be one of those people weighing in. Actually, I'm going to take a step back. The person who I th- I'm actually most proud of when it comes to this whole incident was Baker Mayfield and the way that he handled that, like as he was asked on the field. Um, I think he didn't even see it or no, it was Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham that hadn't even seen it yet. But Baker Mayfield just said, basically like there's no place for that in football. It doesn't belong in football. What Miles Garrett did is definitely worthy of a suspension and um, he's going to have to face that. And I, I was really proud of Baker for handling it that way. I think a lot of people need to see him as a leader, especially if their team is struggling. Um, so to see him step up in that way was, was really important. Yeah, he showed some real leadership. And I know he got some Johnny Manziel comps when he was coming out of college. And um, they never really were justified. It was just because he was a small quarterback who who could be electric at times. But it was very cool to see him really show like, and I mean, this isn't direct, but no, I'm not Johnny Manziel. Like, I know how to carry myself as a leader on the football field. And, you know, usually players are quick to jump to the defense of their teammate. But, you know, Baker understood that what had happened was unacceptable. Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham did the same thing. Both of them didn't try to defend Garrett's actions. They knew that that he had done something that you should never, ever do in that game. And I honestly, for for how much of a dumpster fire the Browns are starting to look like in terms of team discipline and team accountability, those three players stuck out to me as guys who you would generally see as arrogant hotheads, really um, showing that they understand that this is still just a game and that their teammate had done something he should have never done. Yeah, and uh, obviously I don't want to spend too much time on this. It's over, uh, or it's just about a week old. Um, so yeah, Miles Garrett suspended for the the rest of the regular season and postseason. And the, actually, the word is used indefinitely, so we don't quite know when his return will be. Um, Marquise Pouncey for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's their center. He was also suspended three games for his involvement. Um, I believe he was kicking Miles Garrett in the the head at the end. He of the threw pile. him to the ground and kicked him in the head a couple of times. Which I mean, you're defending yeah. your QB. I kind of hope his suspension gets reduced to a game or two. Actually, but we'll see. Well, and he had some some monetary <laughs> fines to pay as well. And there are people in Pittsburgh actually raising money to pay off the fines for him, which I thought was quite humorous. Um, and then yeah, so Larry Ogunjobi, who's another defensive player for the the Cleveland Browns, he's actually facing a one game suspension as well. Um, so those are the three that are facing um, some suspensions off the field. Uh, I, and yeah, the one other noteworthy thing, as we talked about it, Mason Rudolph is not getting suspended, which actually is a pretty justified punishment to the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> After the way he played Thursday, that's that's a pretty big punishment to be handed out to the Steelers to not do anything about him. So yeah, um, I tweeted this out. I just want to say it one more time. Mason Rudolph, I defended you last week. You're you're not good. I withdraw all positive comments he is maybe the worst starting quarterback in the NFL right now. And that includes the current starter for Detroit, Jeff Driscoll. So, ugh. Hey, Jeff Driscoll had a pretty good week, so we can't criticize him too much. Um, But yeah, talking about the Detroit quarterback situation, I didn't realize Matt Stafford was going to be out for a decently long time. It seemed like he was a a game time decision a couple weeks ago when he missed. Oh gosh, I can't remember who they're playing a couple weeks back, but it it seemed like it was just going to be one game. Uh, now they're saying it, it was a six-week injury from the start and that he's going to be week-to-week with this back injury. Um, Daniel, I know that you're a big fan of Matthew Stafford and you thought he was having a pretty good year. Um, statistically, he's having a great year. Like, obviously, this is a huge hit to the Lions. Yeah, Matt Stafford, I will I will say it again and again. Matt Stafford is elite. He's one of the best quarterbacks the NFL has right now. His his stats back it up. But Jeff Driscoll is is not that. He was a Gators quarterback for a time, ended up transferring out, but I got to watch him play in college, and 
Um, he's really mobile, uh, but he is not an NFL starter. His accuracy is not there. The, the arm talent just isn't there. So it is definitely a shot for a Lions team that was not out of the playoff hunt. This could be what eliminates them. I'm sure Matt Stafford is going to do everything he can to get back on the field and, and hope to secure this team a wild card spot somehow. Well, it, it doesn't look like a wild card is attainable at all in the NFC right now. Um, this is a team, though, that earlier in the year, we were talking about them as a contender in the NFC North. We thought that it was going to be between them, the Vikings, and the Packers. And um, obviously their defense is no help in that conversation whatsoever. But Stafford could have brought, like the way he was playing, he could have brought them into that conversation. I think it's safe to say with him missing any more time, um, yeah, it just reduces their their playoff odds even more from maybe 10% to now 5 to 0 in the coming weeks. Um, yeah, I think it's basically the end of their season now for that reason. And it's really sad because Detroit was, you know, they were looking pretty good for the for the course of the year. They're kind of like the NFC's version of the Chargers that like every game they lost, it was by, you know, a relatively close score, or at least it felt that way. Their defense is absolutely horrendous, too, which plays into it. It, it really is unfortunate for a team led by a defensive minded coach. But I mean, hopefully they'll be able to, to get it together. And if they do, the NFC North is going to be a really, really good division to watch over the next couple of seasons while they still have a lot of those pieces together. Another big name player coming up with an injury, though, is uh, Tyreek Hill. The Chiefs game against the Chargers, which we'll talk about later, they somehow almost managed to lose. Tyreek Hill um, hurt his hamstring. And so is he sidelined again for a little bit here, Adam? I believe that's the case. Yeah, there was uh, there were some conversations that it looks like he might miss some time. I know he, he didn't have any impact on the game whatsoever. He suffered it pretty early in the game. Uh, we talked about it last week for Marshawn Lattimore, that these hamstring injuries tend to linger a little bit. So I know Tyreek Hill has missed a decent amount of the year with that broken collarbone he had. Um, I think it was a broken collarbone that he suffered in week one against the Jaguars. So for him to come back for a couple games and, I mean, show how explosive he can help make that offense be, and then to, yeah, to lose him to a hamstring injury, yeah, it's it's a loss for them. And again, I don't know the timeline of that. Um, I don't believe that information has been shared, but still, that's a, a major weapon for Kansas City that they're losing at this point in the year when, quite frankly, they could they, they could really use him. Um, yeah, they're, week, they're Oakland's pushing them for already, that division. So. Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't say they're necessarily struggling. Um, to be fair, that Chargers defense is pretty good, and they kept them to 24 points. Um, obviously, Hill would have helped with that, but they're fighting for that division on a weekly basis. The Raiders keep pushing them in that division, so to lose one of your top playmakers, if not your top playmaker, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty big for them. Even though it's the Chiefs, even though Mahomes is Mahomes, uh, that's a pretty big loss for them if he misses any time. For sure, for sure. And another player that went down this week with... This one's a little more questionable. I Some people don't believe this injury was as serious as they wanted us to believe. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky got pulled um, late in the game, and they claimed that he was hurt. It seems like now he's at least on the injury report. I don't know. It seemed to me like it was just Mitchell Trubisky getting benched and the coach trying to save his ego a little bit, maybe. But I don't know, Adam, what are your thoughts on this? The Foxborough flu... But in Illinois, that's what I'm hearing you say it is. I mean, it does seem a little <laughs> suspicious. I, I'm not going to say anything for sure, but Chase Daniel has been more effective than Mitchell Trubisky when he's been in so far this season and in the very limited time we've seen him. Um, and I mean, at this point, Chicago's got to be kind of in like hope to salvage Trubisky mode or at least hope to somehow get his confidence back up to go into next year. So Maybe I'm wrong, but it, it seems to me like this was a, oh, uh, he got benched. Trainer, can you find out if there's anything remotely wrong with him that we can tell the media? Coming into this year, I really believed in Mitch Trubisky. 
Um, not necessarily that he was going to be a, an MVP type caliber quarterback or that he would even be elite. But what I thought is the Chicago Bears proved last season that they have a, a strong enough defense that if he plays at a competent level like he did last year, maybe even elevates a little bit, um, they could make it to the Super Bowl. Or, sorry, they could make a run for the Super Bowl, I should say. Coming into this year, um, I've been greatly disappointed, along with a lot of people from Illinois. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure what this is. Uh, so when he actually got sent out of the game initially, I remember the or I saw the sideline reporter saying like, yeah, we're not too sure if this is a benching or what this is. And it was kind of some speculation at the end of the game, like what was this all about? So the post-game press conference, everyone went to Matt Nagy, like, please tell us what's going on. So then this injury just kind of comes out of nowhere. But I, I really don't know what to believe. His performance has justified him not being the starting quarterback for them this year. He's not playing well. Um, and and that's a team that really had high expectations coming into the year. And we've seen it with so many teams over the course of the years. Um, Cleveland Browns being a great example this year. When the expectations are high and you can't deliver, people make very rash decisions. So it would not surprise me if, well, I mean, it's a pretty obvious statement to say that Mitch Trubisky will not be the starting quarterback there next year. Um, so maybe they're trying to salvage some assessments of quarterbacks that they could bring in as a backup or, you know, for some role uh, next year. Pretty bold statement to say, but I don't think Mitch Trubisky is back as the starter in Chicago. I don't think they draft someone, but I think they go out and get themselves a Cam Newton or a Matt Ryan. Or a Colin Kaepernick, who knows? That, that well, whole they could go get Colin Kaepernick today. Mess. Yeah. Oh, man, that Kaepernick thing, though. For those of you who weren't um, keeping up with all the news, and I really don't want to go through the whole thing again, but essentially uh, he canceled his NFL scheduled workout because of a dispute over a um, waiver that he didn't want to sign, tried to schedule his own workout, um, went from having 25 teams committed to coming to only having eight show up because he moved it to a high school an hour away from the location his NFL one was supposed to be at. But a lot of people were saying he threw well. I think it's pretty hard to judge in no pads with no rush and just throwing to receivers that you handpicked to do it with. So I wouldn't put too much stock um, in the fact in anything besides the fact that he looks like he is still in game shape. He looks like his mechanics are as good as they were when when he last stepped on the field. I wouldn't be surprised if a team took a flyer on him, but I also wouldn't be surprised if nobody signed him. So it kind of just felt like this week for Colin Kaepernick was was nothing more than just a reminder that he exists, but I don't think it'll have much bearing on his career. Yeah, and it sort of turned into a, you know, a lot of people that were sort of his supporters going into all this ended up sort of taking a step back and actually voicing their complaint about him doing what he did and the way it, everything was handled. Um, I honestly haven't read enough about that situation to know exactly what happened or exactly who's in the right or who's in the wrong so i honestly have no opinion whatsoever but i know a lot of people weren't afraid to voice their opinion um, both in favor of what he did or uh, completely against what he did so um you and i talked about one team daniel that we could see him on and that's the pittsburgh steelers uh right now like we saw on thursday night it was prime time and mason rudolph came out and i mean he played absolutely horrendous he threw four picks most of the time it looked like he was trying to throw to the cleveland defensive backs um I'm pretty sure everyone else saw it that just as I did. It's not like I'm saying anything that's not obvious here, but I think Colin Kaepernick with those elusive running backs and that a unique offensive scheme, if they could pull something off, um, I think he could actually make them a, a playoff worthy team, uh, potentially salvage their year in Pittsburgh. I know that you were, you would have been, or you had some choice words about what you thought that situation could be right, Daniel. 
Well, I and it it really was dependent on that win against Cleveland. And honestly, if Pittsburgh had won that game and Rudolph had looked bad, I think the Steelers would have benefited so much from going to get Colin Kaepernick. I think that loss and just the blow that came with it of of Mason Rudolph playing so poorly and all the injuries that they took probably eliminates their chances of making the playoffs now. And I don't think they want want to take the media storm of signing Colin Kaepernick um, with the season kind of already falling apart. So we'll see what happens there. I Honestly, at this point, the fact that he hasn't been signed already makes me think he won't get signed this season. But going into next year, I guess we'll see. Yeah, some some other news that we wanted to highlight. Um, so I know that this was a big issue um, or something that had been mentioned in the last couple of weeks. But Mark Walton, I believe it was last week, just before we were recording, it came out that he was going to be suspended for four games. And for those of you not familiar, he was sort of the, the Dolphins, I guess, starting running back now between him and Kalen Balaj. Um, in the Dolphins so just for just there. for some context, it's important to realize that Mark Walton was a very talented back in college. He's not some slouchy. I think ended up being a third round draft pick or a fourth round draft pick, but that was solely because of off the field stuff. Um, he got taken by the Bengals. They ended up cutting him this off season because of some arrests. And at this point, it looked like he's been arrested Dolphins, four times in 2019. Yeah, and it looked like maybe the Dolphins would hang on to him and and try to stash him for next year, maybe because of his suspension. But um, there was a, a report that came out what, a couple days ago now that um, yeah, he I think is, it was yesterday or today. Yeah, yeah, that he committed aggravated battery on a pregnant woman. And that was the last straw for the Dolphins. And so Mark Walton is cut. And I would be willing to wager that is the end of his NFL career. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of precedent in the last little while that, um, yeah, that there's no tolerance for this anymore. And Only good players. Good players who are scumbags are allowed to stay in the league. But bad players who are scumbags are very gone. But I, I think that teams are starting to lay down the law more. I think the league is starting to lay down the, the law more. And you, you um, cannot say that with the contract that Tyreek Hill just signed. Tyreek Hill is still in the league. You still have, I mean, Antonio Kareem Brown, Hunt, there's still very Kareem Hunt, Antonio Brown, there's still very much discussions of him coming back next year. The league doesn't like care if he's talented. I like to believe that, yeah. Anyways, I don't want to talk about political stuff, but I like to believe the NFL is getting better in that area and that they're they're starting to to lower the... Um, the tolerance with that because that's not acceptable whatsoever um yeah that's just uh that's a statement that i'll say but um yeah kind of an interesting week for the patriots so <laughs> they go out they beat the eagles 17 to 10 it's kind of a boring game in the second half no one really scored after the patriots first drive of the second half and tom brady comes out in his post-game interview and just says look the patriots are dependent right now on their special teams and on their defense our offense is doing crap like I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially the conversation was like the Patriots are are really struggling on offense. This is unacceptable. And you can tell Brady's got that fire that he has about this time, uh, you know, every year when they're when they're struggling and he really needs to step up his game. And I thought that was quite interesting. I thought seeing a, a quarterback like that after a pretty good win on the road against a good Philadelphia Eagles defense to come out that pissed off. I think that that just shows um you know, he's not okay with this offense playing at the level that it is right now. Yeah, nobody expected them to be this bad offensively coming into the year. But this week, there was a a cryptic message from Rob Gronkowski that made everyone think that they might be getting some offensive help. And much like the last time that he sent out a cryptic message that looked like he might be coming back, the announcement ended up being something different. And so um, it went from everyone freaking out that Rob Gronkowski might be announcing a return to the NFL to Rob Gronkowski announcing that he would be holding a beach party in Miami on Super Bowl weekend. 
And I think that probably ends all of the comeback speculation. I think we can say for sure Rob Gronkowski, at least for this season, is not coming back. And that's kind of so, nice to have that conversation sealed and done. Um, but it is disappointing as a Patriots fan who knows this offense is struggling right now. So one thing I will say, less than a couple hours ago, so if you didn't see it, it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, Rob Gronkowski was actually dressed as a Laker girl yesterday, so like a cheerleader for the Los Angeles Lakers, and was actually part of uh, dancing with them. And he was there with uh, James Corbin as well. So he was having a good time. And anyways, his girlfriend posted a picture on Instagram, and it was like something along the lines of, I miss his other uniform, meaning the Patriots uniform. I don't know. Could that be cryptic? Um, honestly, at this point, every family member of Gronk's, I'm tuned into their social media to see if they're hinting at Gronk coming back. So we'll keep you posted on a weekly basis. <laughs> Is that creepy? Nah. Besides that, we had, um, what is the story that I, that I <laughs> deeply silence. resonate with? Oh man, I, the, the Gronk obsession and we might, we might need to talk about this <laughs> off air, but, um, the Redskins fans chanted something that I can definitely get behind this week during the game chanting, sell the team. They want Dan Snyder gone. And I've said multiple times on this podcast and so many more times to friends, uh, it's the worst organization in football. Dan Snyder has no idea what he's doing and players have been the recipients of, um, his absolute incompetence. And so I'm with the fans on this one. I doubt it's going to happen because Dan Snyder has really never shown any regard for what anyone else thinks, but it's it's nice to see that people are getting on the same page. Well, I think they're just ready for it in Washington and um, yeah, maybe it's time for change and owners aren't just going to sell their team because fans chanted for it, but this franchise needs to turn around. Um, if they want to sell tickets, if they want to get people out to the game, yeah, they gotta they gotta provide some optimism there. They gotta give the players confidence that they're not going there for their career to die. Um, it's an interesting situation in Washington, and yeah, I, I'm not too sure when that'll be changing. Um, yeah, I <laughs> don't know what more to say there. Yeah, it really was a big news for or a big week for news. So um, we have a couple of other stories that we we're maybe going to talk about, but I think let's just move on to talking about the actual games this week because we had a pretty crazy slate. Um, we had a couple more big upsets. We had a couple of really fun games. We had a couple of uh, really boring primetime games. But um, let's start with talking about the actual game, that Cleveland-Pittsburgh um, game. Everything got overshadowed by how it ended. But honestly, I think that game told us a lot. It showed us, first of all, how bad Mason Rudolph is, and we talked about that already. Um, it helped us to understand, outside of even that fight, just how undisciplined the Cleveland Browns were, taking, I think, two additional hit-to-the-head penalties and getting Demorius Randall. Um, sent out of the game for a, a really ugly hit to the head on uh, Steelers receiver Deontay Johnson. But yeah. we also saw a Browns offense that starting is starting to look like it might be clicking against a really, really good defense. Baker Mayfield was efficient. He put two TD passes up. Nick Chubb, again, for the front he was playing against, ran well. And they won it like kind of decisively, not with a lot of points, but it never really felt in doubt for Cleveland to take that game. No, it it was 21 to 7 was the final score, but it felt like it was a lot more. Like I said, I I got maybe 5 minutes in or sorry, 5 minutes left in the fourth quarter and I changed the channel. Um just cuz yeah, there was no point watching. It was pretty obvious that um that Cleveland was going to pull off the win and and that was I guess an upset of the week, right? We we talked about how good the Pittsburgh Steelers defense has been over the course of the last couple of weeks and to see the yeah, I mean 
all season long, we've been talking about how bad this Browns offense is and how much they've struggled in comparison to the expectations. For them to go and play a, a Pittsburgh Steelers defense that was that hot and uh, put up those numbers was pretty impressive. I think, um, and we'll talk about more games where this was actually the case, but I think we learned in this week that a quarterback can't throw four interceptions and win a game for their team. I think that was a, one of the main lessons from from this week. Unless his name is Jameis Winston, but that's just kind of been his career. Um, here's a question for you, Adam. I mean, you usually like being the one to ask, so it's my turn now. Um, off the top of your head, no thought, does Cleveland make the playoffs this year? Damn, this is a really hard question. I think that they have a chance to. This is not the answer that you're looking for. You wanted a quick yes or no. I think they have a chance to because of how bad the AFC wildcard teams are. I mean, Oakland's playing well enough that they could push the Chiefs for the division. But that sixth spot is... I mean, it's a flopping door or a revolving door. I mean, each and every week it's changing each and every week. It has to be either Buffalo, Kansas City or Oakland would have to fall apart. But I think Cleveland is probably the next best team to do it. I know Tennessee has a better record, but so does Pittsburgh. But I think at this point, Cleveland looks like a team that could push. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not like they're three and six, I believe. No, not three and six, four and six now. But I don't think they're out of the playoff race. They're not out of the playoff race. So I'd say, yes, they have a chance at that wild card spot. Do I give them a guarantee? No, but they have a shot, which a lot of Cleveland fans may not have thought three or four weeks ago, but here we are. So another team that you just mentioned, Daniel, that is now going to be in, or I believe they're in the sixth spot right now. They lost their lead of the division and they'll have a shot for it Thursday night. But man, watching the Houston Texans against the Baltimore Ravens, I was expecting a shootout. I was expecting a close game. I was expecting to see what Lamar was actually made of. I was expecting to see what Watson was actually made of. And wow, what I learned is that the Baltimore Ravens defensive line is either really good or the Houston Texans offensive line is absolutely horrendous. Deshaun Watson was sacked seven times. I swear, every time I looked at the TV, like between looking at my phone to see how other games are going and looking up at the TV, every time I saw Deshaun Watson either getting absolutely laid out or sacked. And and that's not me like exaggerating in any sense. He was sacked seven times. He threw one interception and no touchdowns. That was just one of the weirdest Deshaun Watson stat lines I've ever seen. That defense dominated. It was There was no shot. Like Houston had no chance in that game. Uh, the one thing I will say is that PIs and challenging pass interference is absolutely ruined. There was a play in the first quarter where Deshaun Watson threw a beautiful ball to DeAndre Hopkins and he was literally tackled to the ground. And there was no call on the field. They reviewed it and they determined that it was not pass interference after a challenge. Um, First of all, I'll say that that rule is absolutely broken in the NFL. So I want to rant all day about that and can't. But this was like a self-destruction by the Texans. And just it gives me no confidence in them having a, a spot in the playoffs because they can't play good teams like the Ravens and do that. It was horrendous. I don't have such a low view of the Texans. I do still think, and honestly, I forgot about this division when I was talking about Cleveland potentially making the playoffs. They would have to somehow beat Indy or Houston's record, which would be um, quite a bit harder. But I think the Ravens did prove one thing to me this week, and it's that um, if San Francisco is your 1A best team in the league, the Ravens are 1B. They are right up there. They just absolutely smoked one of the better teams in the AFC, which, I mean, the AFC is weak, so it's not saying a lot, but Houston's not bad. They made Deshaun Watson look bad. Um, and Lamar Jackson, not putting up gaudy passing numbers by any means, but he gets the job done. Baltimore is terrifying. I don't know if it'll be sustained success because it is such an unconventional college-style offense. They might only have this year before teams start to figure it out, but right now, 
They are the best team in the AFC. They are scary and honestly should probably be considered Super Bowl favorites at this point. You know what impressed me most about this win, though? Uh, I should say that (laughs) their defense impressed me most, but what impressed me the most from the offensive side of the ball wasn't necessarily Lamar Jackson's play, but of course he played phenomenal because he's arguably in like the, the MVP right now. But Gus Edwards ran the ball eight times for 112 yards and a touchdown. So that's not Mark Ingram with those kind of numbers. That's Gus Edwards, their second running back, going up and putting those kind of numbers. Uh, Mark Ingram actually had two touchdowns receiving, I believe. Like, these running backs can do anything in that offense. Their receivers are so versatile. Mark Andrews is so versatile as a tight end. Like, Well, it's just you know, it's an offense built around the tight ends and the running backs with Marquise Brown and Willie Sneed kind of coming in when they need them to, but... It, it really is just tight ends and running backs for the most part. And all of them are contributing, right? And that's the thing. What do good defenses do? Like we've talked about this. What is Bill Belichick famous for? Shutting down what you do really well. If you run the ball really well with three different players on your offense, how are you supposed to shut that down, right? Especially that read option. It's it's really tough. And the, the Ravens are proving that on a weekly basis. It's a really tough offense to stop. And um, they're getting a lot of praise. And I don't blame everyone that's praising them as much as they are. This is a really hard offense to stop. And until someone does, I think a lot of teams are going to be scratching their heads as to what can we do when we get these guys in front of us. I think that they play the San Francisco 49ers at some point in the next couple of weeks. I am like licking my lips to see that matchup because that's going to be probably one of the best games of the season. Um, I think that's pretty safe to say. Yeah, and we're going to see a lot of running plays that game. That's going to be, it's going to be weird because it's going to be, old school NFL running offense against like the newest thing right now, right? A proper read option, college style spread offense. It's going to be really, really fun to watch. It's going to be one of the best defenses in the league having to go against this incredibly unconventional quarterback style. It's going to be great. Um, The next game on on our slate that we wanted to talk about from last week was the Atlanta Falcons. So as you'll remember from last week, I, <laughs> I thought Carolina was going to get back on their win streak after losing to the Packers. I thought that Atlanta just had one hot game against the Saints. Um, yeah, and I was betting on the Panthers, and I was wrong. So the Falcons' defense, again, the defense impressed me most here. They forced four interceptions, they had five sacks, and they dominated this game. And the funny thing is, so I saw Adam Rank actually tweet about this. Uh, for those of you not familiar with Adam Rank, he's uh, an NFL Network analyst, I believe. Um, so he actually commented, it's kind of funny for Dan Quinn, who's the head coach of the Falcons. He gave up his defensive coordinator, or sorry, the defensive play calling role, and their defense has been taking off ever since then. So him having a job after this season is going to be kind of interesting. But all I can say is that the Falcons defense dominated. Calvin Ridley had an amazing game. He was like eight catches, 134 yards or 143 yards, one of the two uh, with a touchdown as well. Um they were just absolutely dominant and Christian McCaffrey still had a great performance, which is just so ironic, but um, with the defense doing as well as the Falcons did for CMC to still have a huge game was just incredible. Yeah. It sucks for a team that it's just kind of too little too late for the Falcons. It, it feels like they're finally really starting to put their stuff together and uh, the defense is finally performing well for the personnel that they have. And the offense is really starting to click, but they just have been so bad to this point that, there's there's no way they're making the playoffs. There's no way that they're, they literally can't push for that division. It can't happen. Um, but for the sake of Dan Quinn's job, these wins are very, very good. They've probably saved him his job with these last two weeks of games and have definitely made some um, 
made it so that you have to start looking forward to next year for them. It looks like they have some pieces in place with some good coaching that uh, they might really be able to push to win games. I wouldn't go that far. I think if anything, it prolongs Dan Quinn from being fired mid season or near the end of the season to being fired at like in the off season. I think, uh, I think that they need a change there in Atlanta. Um, I don't think this does anything, but prolong it for a couple of weeks. I think Dan Quinn gets to enjoy his Christmas as an Atlanta Falcons head coach, but I don't think it lasts too much longer than that. It is just a couple wins. It is against divisional teams that they know well. If they can sustain this a little bit longer, yeah, okay, maybe. But again, it's two obviously two big wins in their division, but I want to see them make a couple more big wins before I'm willing to say that Dan Quinn stays. And from an upset to a game that looked like it might become an upset, um, the Vikings had a, had a tough go in Denver, but still managed to pull out the win. My very frustrated uh, Broncos fan friend texted me saying, uh, if this team could just put two decent halves together in a row, we'd actually have some more wins this year. Um, and that kind of was the story. It, it was the tale of two halves. The Vikings um, really pulled it all together, put up 27 points in the second half. Um, and Stefan Diggs had another great game after a quieter performance last week. So the Vikings, again, are making the point that they're a scary team. Denver is showing that they might be a team that that has some talent, but really just um, whether it's a combination of, of poor coaching and, and players giving up or whatever it may be, they just can't put together enough good quarters of football in a row to actually win games. Yeah. So first of all, I'll say that like the first half, it was one of those games where it just looks like nothing could go wrong for the Broncos and nothing could go right for the Vikings. Um, if you're a Vikings fan, I wouldn't have been surprised if you turned off the TV after the first half. It was just, Again, like it just nothing was going the Vikings way in the second half, though, when Kirk Cousins drove the ball down the field and they scored their touchdown, um, the very first drive of the second half, suddenly everything changed. It was just that one drive that sort of set the tone and they didn't score any points in the rest of that quarter. They scored 20 of their points in the fourth quarter, but still it was just those that first drive in the second half that really kicked things off for the Vikings. And um, everyone will criticize Kirk Cousins. So I think he deserves the praise that he um, he's going to get here, I'll say. Um, that was a huge win. That was huge for him to come back against, uh, you know, a good Broncos defense. I think that everyone wants to criticize Kirk Cousins and jump on him when he's down and, you know, kick him when he's down. But really, we need to praise him for the games where he comes out and he delivers this kind of performance when his team needs him to most. Um, I think that from this game, what I'm taking away is that even when Dalvin Cook isn't playing great, they were still able to use that play action and throw the ball deep down the field and open up their guys like Kyle Rudolph, who had a long touchdown, as well as Stephon Diggs. I'm really impressed with Cousins' performance. And if he can sustain this, I, I have no doubt that this team can make a run at uh, at the Super Bowl. And not too many people expect them in the NFC. They're kind of going unnoticed right now, or, or relatively unnoticed compared to the top four teams in the NFC. But I think they've really got a shot this year. People are not giving them as much credit as they deserve. Another team that's been very running dependent that had their quarterback carry them to a victory this week was the 49ers. They've been um, averaging crazy amounts of running yards per game, but they just were not able to get the run going against the Cardinals. And um, honestly, when I, when I looked at the stats, I would have assumed that it had been a 49ers loss when I was looking at those running backs, but Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, threw two picks, but 424 passing yards, four TDs against what is not a terrible defense. I mean, they have an incredible pass rusher in Chandler Jones. Kyler Murray on the other side also played um, 
well, kind of, it looked like a, a, a bad Lamar Jackson stat line, 150 passing yards, two touchdowns, 67 yards and a, and a touchdown on the ground. Um, but yeah, San Francisco for once showed like someone might be able to slow their running game down, um, but still managed to win. And Jimmy Garoppolo is maybe trying to make some statements these last few weeks that he really is an NFL starting quarterback. He needs to against Seattle though. That's the thing. They have a chance later against Seattle. That's the game that I want to see Jimmy Garoppolo win. He's proved to us twice against the same defense that he can win games for that 49ers team. And that's great. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm a, I like the 49ers this year. I like watching them play. I think that they put together great wins and they show that they're a complete team, but I want to see Garoppolo go and beat a team. That's not the Arizona Cardinals defense. I want to go and or I want to see him beat the Packers defense this week. I want to see him beat the Seahawks defense later this season. And I believe they play the saints and a few other really tough teams as well. I want to see Garoppolo win those kind of games when their running game isn't working as opposed to a game like this. And they do get uh, Kittle back in the next couple of weeks, if not this week. Um, so I know that that'll help their running game quite a bit, but Garoppolo's got to win those games against the top NFC contenders, not just the bottom of the barrel in their division. However, I one thing I will that say, he'll be able to. Well, I want to see it. I uh, I won't <laughs> won't believe until I see. And I, I've seen a decent amount of the 49ers this year, but I I really I'm bitter about that loss to the Seahawks because he needed to pull off that win and he didn't for that team. That was the biggest game for them of the year. Um, so, anyways, the next time he gets a shot at a game like that, I want to see him pull off the win. One thing I will say though is that. You know, I'm starting to think that next year the Arizona Cardinals have a shot to be a good team. And I think they're going to go under the radar. But I think seeing the way that they're playing, seeing the way that they're kind of mixing things up and, you know, kind of using a different offense, sort of similar to the Ravens. Again, like a poor man's Ravens offense. I'm actually sort of impressed with Arizona. They are quickly becoming one of my favorite teams to watch. I think because Kyler, I mean, first of all, just I love running quarterbacks, but his really unconventional throwing motion. It's like he just kind of whips his arm and the ball flies out. And um, one of the two football jerseys I own is a Chandler Jones jersey. So I do love still getting to watch him play, even if it's not in a Patriots uniform. But they have some talented players. They have Christian Kirk, who's starting to develop into a good receiver. Um, they now have Kenyon Drake and David Johnson being a pretty fun and dynamic um, two-back attack to hit teams with. And even though it's been a disappointing season, they were the worst team in football last year. So I'm sure that they'll be pretty happy with the way they've been able to stay competitive in some games, pull out some wins. Um, Cliff Kingsbury looks like he could fit in the NFL, especially with this QB to work with. I, I'm excited to see where they'll be in the next few seasons. Definitely. Um, another team that might might have to hope for next year. I don't think that'll be the case, but um, you never know with the way that their offense is performing. The Philadelphia Eagles, really tough loss to the Patriots this past week. Right now, they could push the Cowboys for the division. I believe they're a game back in the NFC East behind the Cowboys for that division. Their defense looked good. I mean, the Patriots' offense is not uh, sparkling right now, but their defense played really well. Their defense gave them all the opportunities to be in the game. The Eagles' offense really struggled, and it's not Carson Wentz's fault. Um, they lost their right tackle, Lane Johnson, early in the game, and the Patriots had five sacks afterwards. Um, none of their sacks were before Lane Johnson left the game. The Eagles receivers are absolutely horrendous. Nelson Aguilar had a chance on one of the, or close to the end of the game to catch a ball in the end zone that would have given them the opportunity to tie the game. And don't get me wrong, it was a hard catch, but um, yeah, he dropped that and they really needed him to make that catch. Like just everything about the Eagles offense was just sputtering in that second half. Um, they really need a better receiving core if they want to make a run at the playoffs. And they just have so many injuries in that area. Um, 
yeah, it was just, it was a really tough week for them. Yeah, this game had potential to be one of the better games of the week, and it just did not play out that way, unfortunately. But um, they are a team that that can kind of pull out wins from nowhere. Carson Wentz is good enough to do that. So we'll have to see down the stretch what happens. But again, in such a strong NFC, their their playoff hopes are are pretty much on their way out as after that loss. Um, another team that is seeing their playoffs, their playoff hopes um, kind of continue to diminish, even with a win uh, this Sunday night in a very boring game. Um, the Rams and the Bears, just how oh, ugly. Trubisky is awful, got maybe injured, most likely benched for Chase Daniel. Jared Goff was also awful. Um, <laughs> those are two very high draft picks that are not living up to their status. Well, especially this year. Um, with the Rams going to the Super Bowl last year, everyone had expectations that they were going to be the best team in that division this year. And that's a very tough division. So not being the best team in that division um, isn't all that big of a hit. But the fact that they're not going to make the playoffs the year after pushing for a Super Bowl is just, that's a really big hit to LA. Um, they haven't been featuring some of their stars in their offense on a consistent basis. I know there was a couple weeks ago, Cooper Cup didn't have a catch. Um, this past week, at least they used Todd Gurley, but you know, there's just, it doesn't seem like they've been able to put together that perfect game that we talked about with Denver as well. It's just every week the, the Rams could be really hot or really cold. And this past week they were mediocre and that's all they needed to be to beat the bears. But yeah, they're not going to be a team we see on primetime in the future. I don't think um, they're sort of moving to, to down that list, unfortunately. And they're, yeah, I don't think they make the playoffs this year, which is a big hit for them. Um, two teams that I know were also fighting for a playoff push in the AFC uh, the Chiefs, who are, again, being pushed for their division by the Raiders, which is something we would not have thought we'd be saying at the beginning of the year. And the Chargers, who, despite all their injuries, despite everything going on and everything that tried to drag them down, they're still sitting at a decent record and could push for um, not only that division, but for a wild card spot, potentially. Um, yeah, it was a close game, and Phillip Rivers threw four picks. Again, if there's one thing we learned this week, it's the fact that you cannot throw four picks and win a game, but it was still close. Yeah, he had a chance at the end to win it and just threw it an, a, another interception when he had uh, a chance to, or sorry, to tie it up at the very end of the game. So it was a bit of a, a crazy game. I, I can't really believe that the Chargers were in it. And I think this is just continuing to show something I've said a couple of times. I think the Chiefs are in the process of melting down a little bit and they did get the win, but we'll see over the next few weeks. Uh, I'm honestly starting to lean towards the Raiders winning that division. Um, and especially with Tyreek Hill out and with teams that are, are now really fighting for their lives, Casey just looks sloppy. They, they just aren't playing to the same level. Mahomes was not magical like he normally is. And this team should really, really be um, seriously a addressing some of these issues with them just not being able to, to produce on offense anymore. And um, their defense, I mean, has been bad all year. And again, had four picks, but still you gave up 17 points and almost let a game get tied with four interceptions. You can't do that. Yeah, it obviously wasn't their best performance. We know divisional games are tough, so that is definitely a factor, but I agree that they um, maybe it's time that they start getting concerned. Um, I don't know if they could go into Baltimore right now and win a playoff game in Baltimore. I don't know if that's the case. Having said that, though, if they get healthy at the right time and they get all the players they need at the right time, they could be heating up at the right time too so don't want to rule them out yet because it's not how hot you start it's how hot you finish um so it'll be interesting to watch how they finish the regular season and what kind of momentum they could build going into the playoffs heading into some fantasy football stuff for the week um, just a couple of starts and a couple of sits to maybe be looking at 
Admittedly, our record with fantasy has not been great, but let's be real. Any other fantasy podcast you listen to, their guess is pretty much as good as ours. But um, Terry McLaurin is a guy that we're maybe looking at to start this week. He's been a little bit quiet, especially with um, Case Keenum not playing anymore in Washington, but he has still proven to be a strong receiver. And Detroit, like we talked about earlier, has a really bad defense. So we want to see this as a week for him to to have another one of those um, big Terry McLaurin performances and, and show the Redskins that he is their future wide receiver. Yeah, um, I mean, their past defense was just awful this past week for all Cowboys receivers. So it might not just be McLaurin. It might be a couple Washington receivers, if you know any of their names. Um, yeah, to start in fantasy this week. So we recommend that. Um, I'm not sure if Daniel's going to agree with this one, but one of the ones I wrote down was to start Aaron Jones against the 49ers defense. So the 49ers defense is the 13th worst run defense. Um, so I think that if there's any vulnerability we see on that 49ers defense, it's the run game. The Packers have been utilizing their running backs quite well and um, yeah, allowing them to succeed pretty decently this year. So I'd say to start Aaron Jones, Daniel, do you, do you agree or what are your thoughts? He's very touchdown dependent, which has been good for him because he's been a touchdown machine. I think he's tied for, for first with rushing touchdowns or he's at second at this point, but it's going to be the question of how often can the Packers drive down the field and score because they're very willing to give the ball to Aaron Jones in those situations. So he's definitely touchdown dependent, but he's definitely worth a look if you think that, that Green Bay will be able to move the ball well against the San Francisco defense. Yeah, fair enough. And I mean, he he does get featured in the receiving game quite a bit as well. Um, another running back that we think is worth the start this week. Um, so Derek Henry from the Tennessee Titans is playing Jacksonville and Jacksonville has the fourth worst run defense. So we're saying to give Derrick Henry the start. Um, he's He might be one of those running backs that is very touchdown dependent, like Daniel was just saying. So if you don't usually give him a start, it might be the week to look at, at starting him. Um, moving on to the sits, though. Again, this episode will come out Thursday morning. Uh, we know that you want to listen to this before the Thursday night game to hear the most, of, the most value of what we have to say from a fantasy view. Uh, so I'm going to say to sit Deshaun Watson. I think that with the Indianapolis defensive line, I think that they're going to wreak havoc in the backfield. Um, we saw that Houston's defensive line, or sorry, Houston's offensive line um, was not too strong against Baltimore. So I'm expecting Deshaun Watson to not have lots of time to take a lot of hits. And I'm thinking that uh, he's not worth a start this week. Josh Jacobs is another running back going up against a really strong, or as a running back going up against another really strong front. And even though he has been really productive to this point against the New York Jets, it might be a good idea to to give Jacobs a sit this week. Uh, again, we're, we're coming down the stretch in fantasy football here, and um, we're on the last week of bye, bye weeks, thank goodness. But um, yeah, if you're if you're in a pinch, maybe look for, for someone other than Josh Jacobs to fill that role this week. Definitely. Um, yeah, the New York Jets surprisingly have the first place run defense. So who knew that that was the case? But um, yeah, if you have alternatives, definitely uh, give Josh Jacobs a break on your roster this week. Another one that we're going to sit, and I don't know if I'm going to take my own advice here. I'm thinking about it, but Cortland Sutton for the Denver Broncos. Um, they're playing the Buffalo Bills, who are the third-place pass defense. So Cortland Sutton, luckily he scores touchdowns um, relatively often. So if he scores a touchdown, this will hurt your team a little bit less. But Buffalo's proven that they can shut down receivers pretty well. Um, yeah, so I, I would say to maybe be a little bit more sensitive to whether you should start him this week or not. And with those fantasy picks out of the way, we are moving into our divisional breakdown. This week, we will be looking at the NFC South, which coming into the year seemed to be a division that was probably going to be up for grabs. New Orleans definitely was the favorite, but um, Carolina seemed like a team that could 
definitely win a lot of games. I don't think anybody expected Atlanta to be nearly as bad as they are. Um, Tampa, to me, feels like they are about where they should be. Um, and we'll start with talking about them. They are sitting at three and seven on the season. And yeah, it it all starts with the quarterback for this team. Um, but it's it is weird. They actually, shockingly enough, have the sixth best scoring offense and yardage offense in the NFL. Um, but then you go and you look at Jameis Winston's stats and you see a 59 completion percentage, 19 touchdowns and 18 interceptions, um, which means pretty much every time he touches or yeah, every time he touches the football, you have as much a chance of him getting picked off as you do of him actually putting the ball in the end zone for somebody. And that has kind of been the story for this team. Winston's performances are so important to how they play. Um, if I read off their turnovers from some games this season, you have a you have three four turn three four turnover performances, one seven turnover performance, and one three turnover performance. You can't win games doing that. Um, Jameis Winston is once again showing that um, he's either going to win you or lose you games depending on uh, if he's throwing the ball to the right jersey color or not. But they have a couple of positive things. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin forming one of the best one-two punches in the league. Um, both of them right up near 1,000 yards at this point. Godwin actually leading in receptions, um, but both with seven touchdowns. Ronald Jones finally gets named the starting back, and it looks like he's starting to put together a few good games here and looking like he could be a valuable back. Uh, their, their last defense two games are pretty bad running the ball, though. That's true. But Ronald Jones is producing in the in the passing game. He's putting up good fantasy numbers, which keeps a lot of people Fair happy. Enough. He's been better uh, than Peyton Barber, though. Like he's started he's taking over that role and getting the touches, even if they're very light and the yardage is very light. Yeah, he's been named the starter now and he's at four yards a carry, which is not terrible. Um, 18 catches to go on top of that 202 yards. He's, he's playing well and it seems like they're finally getting some production out of him. Now, the defense is terrible. <laughs> 32nd for, for points against. Um, but it is weird. They, they have some names. They obviously drafted Devin White this year, who um, was a freak athlete at linebacker, but hasn't really done a ton on the year, hasn't gotten any picks, um, hasn't actually forced a fumble yet, which is really unfortunate. Only half a sack. He's, he's missed a few games, but Levante David has generally been one of the best linebackers in football over the last few years, and um, he's, he is playing well. Forced fumble, couple or three passes defense, one pick. Shaq Barrett obviously has 11 and a half sacks. He's slowed down since the start of the year, but he's been an effective pass rusher. Um, they recently cut Vernon Hargraves. We talked about that last week, a little bit of a weird move for a, a very recent first round draft pick. Um, but besides them, their defense is kind of aging and um, really starting to show some serious signs of regression among their good players and um, among their, their young players. We're not really seeing the production we'd like to see. Well, this is a team that had somewhat high hopes and did people expect them to win the division no but with bruce arians there there was high hopes for their offense anyways so i know um talking about it from a quarterback's point of view james winston i thought had the opportunity to work with bruce arians in a way that would resurrect his career i thought that he was going to be cleaner when he throws the ball that he was going to be you know reducing the amount of picks he throws um so i i, I just want to say that i thought that was going to be a big change in their offense this year was the influence that Bruce Arians would have on Jameis Winston. And that's why I held out so much optimism for this. Unfortunately, that has not been the case. Um, so obviously don't need to to beat the drum too loud there. But yeah, their offense isn't terrible, though. Having said that, they have two amazing weapons at receiver. Um, their offense can put up points. It's just their defense can't hold other teams uh, from getting or from getting into the end zone, right? So it's weird. They They've won 
relatively big games this year, but they've also lost a whole bunch of games too. So it's they're another one of these teams that feels like they should be better than they are. That's the vibe that I get from them. Um, like you look at them on their schedule and it's not an easy game. Like you do have a battle when you go into Tampa or when they come and play you. It's it's not an easy game going up against these guys. I think it's just they can't, they're, when their offense is playing really well, their defense plays horrendous. When their defense is playing really well, their offense is playing horrendous. And it just, it seems like uh, on a weekly basis, they just can't put it all together. Um, Bruce Arians came out last week and said, like, look, we had one of our best weeks of practice that we've ever had. It felt like we were really clicking. Everything was going well. And he said, I'm actually curious what the difference is. What what does it mean for us to have a great week of practice and go into a game and get our butts kicked by the Saints? Like, what do we have to do? How good of a week of practice do we have to put in to put up good you know, execution on Sunday? The execution isn't there on Sunday. So it was kind of interesting to hear him so frustrated because, again, like it feels like this team should be better than they are. Another team that definitely feels like they should be better than they are has been the Atlanta Falcons this year. Um, they were in the Super Bowl not too long ago and have managed to keep a lot of that roster together. But, um, yeah, things have not gone well for this team this year. They currently have the 26th ranked defense for points. And this is the weird thing with their offense. 10th for yards. They can move the ball fine, but 19th for points for. They just can't put the ball in the end zone. Um, Matt Ryan, I've said a few times, um, I don't know if I've said it on the podcast. I know I've said it to Adam in person. Matt Ryan, I think by the end of his career, will be top five in a lot of um, all-time categories for quarterbacks. He's had a very good career. He's thrown a few too many picks this year. He has nine and nine games, which you never want to see from a high-end starter. But um, yeah, the team has just been so underwhelming. Um, you have one of the best receivers in football with Julio Jones. You have Calvin Ridley, who was a first-round pick a year ago. And um, was really looking like a guy who who was going to develop into a really, really solid number two with Julio Jones. And he still is. He's getting there a little more slowly than people would have hoped. Um, you have Austin Hooper, who's hurt right now and will be down for a little bit. But he honestly has been probably the best tight end in football this year. Um, Devontae Freeman's been an absolute disappointment. The defense has been disappointing. I don't know, Adam, what have you been seeing from this team this year? Why do you think they went from being a really, really good bet to be in the playoffs to just being one of the worst teams in the league? I'd say, I don't know. It seems like, like sort of what you're saying, they just haven't been able to put up points is what it seems like the, the common denominator is. Um, we look at some of their games from earlier in the year. They put up 10 points. Or sorry, where am I looking here? Um, yeah, they put up 12 points against the Vikings. Um, 24 points against the Colts. Okay, not bad. 10 points against the Titans. Um, 10 Lost points against the Lost in two shootouts to teams, yeah. Yeah, so just looking over their schedule from the year here, they lost yeah in a shootout against the Texans, lost in a shootout against the Colts by the looks of it. But anyways, it just seems like in some cases they haven't been able to put up points, and in other cases they haven't been able to stop other teams at all. Again, it just seems like one of these these cases where just things aren't put together at the same time. Um, yeah, honestly, I don't know what to say. Their defense hasn't been performing all that well over the course of the year because it's been an absolute shock the last couple games that they've been as dominant as they have. Dan Quinn is a defensive minded head coach. So for them to be struggling on a defensive side is it really is a big statement. Um, I'm just going to read some of the names they have on their defense. Cause these are guys that when they went on their Super Bowl run were big players and, uh, or were big name guys that were influencing the the performance of their defense. So to Karis McKinley, um, I don't know if he was on that Super Bowl team, but as a rookie, um, I believe, or sorry, not as a rookie, as a first round player, um, you know, he should be playing a lot better than he is. They have Adrian Claiborne as well. They have Grady Jarrett. 
They have Vic Beasley Jr. They have Devondre Campbell. They have Deion Jones. They have Desmond Trufant. They have Ricardo Allen. These are all guys with, you know, with performance that indicates that they should be playing at a level that or that's better than what they are playing at right now. Um, yeah, I, I think that's where they've really been struggling is their offense is moving the ball and in most games is putting up decent amounts of points, but it's their defense that just isn't clicking. Um, but now it is. So who knows? Um, Injuries have been a big deal for them too. When you lose yeah. a guy in Keanu Neal, who's, I, I would argue, a top five safety. I don't know if you'd agree with that, but even missing Desmond Trufant for a few games is never good. Um, and Vic Beasley, he's hit four sacks now, but goodness, he has been absolutely terrible. He has not gotten after the quarterback this year. The last couple of weeks, he's finally getting there, but this guy was supposed to be one of the best pass rushers in the league, and, and he's just been awful. He's being paid like one, and he's a... I think they were looking to move him because I think he, I want to say he's a free agent. Don't quote me on that. But anyways, I feel like there's going to be a lot of turnover on the defense, um, including Dan Quinn. I think that uh, the Falcons are going to look a lot different next year. I don't know if Matt Ryan's going to be there. There's rumors that he's not going to be there next year. Um, so I think that this team, especially on the defensive side, will look a lot different. But um, yeah, like they should have been contending in this division this year. Um, and it's it's quite a surprise that they're not. So, yeah, changes will have to happen and, and things will have to happen for them to be successful next year. But I think it's it's over this year. Um, unfortunately, another team that it looks like it's over for this year is the Carolina Panthers. They're pushing for that division. They really were. Um, or Sorry, not division, but for a wild card spot for a while there. It looked like they were contending. It looked like they were in the race and like they would put up a fight with maybe the Vikings in that sixth wild card spot. Or sorry, second wild card spot, sixth spot overall. Um and now it doesn't look to be the case anymore. They're sort of in the same spot as the Rams where, you know, they uh, they need to win on a weekly basis to keep up and they just haven't been able to consistently. So they're sitting at five and five right now. Daniel, what are your thoughts on the Panthers this year? Yeah, they're sitting at five and five now, but we're four and two at one point. And I think that's the kind of the big takeaway for this team is um, they've kind of melted down and had a, a strength of schedule shift as well. I mean, early season, they played Los Angeles, who we know now was not really one of the top teams in the NFC. They played Tampa, who is not really one of the top teams. Um, they lost both of those games still, but then they went on this little tear. They beat Arizona, beat Houston, beat Jacksonville, beat Tampa. Um, and then the strength of schedule flipped again, and they lost to San Francisco, beat Tennessee, of course, but then Green Bay and a resurging Atlanta team. So they've been a little streaky. Um, somehow, it looks like um, without Cam Newton, they've been better i mean they have been better without cam newton kyle allen is five and three cam newton was zero and two um kyle allen has not been exceptional 10 10 touchdowns in eight games is really not what you want to see from a guy who you want to call a future starter nine picks nothing great but we all know this offense lives and dies on one player and um, we can guarantee you've probably heard his name here more than you've heard it anywhere else but christian mccaffrey man 1060 yards on the season already 11 rushing touchdowns 5.3 yards per carry 59 catches, 517 yards, another three touchdowns through the air. Um, he is the team's offense. He is everything that they do. He is an absolute terror on the field. You can't tackle him one-on-one. -on -one. He runs routes like a receiver. He runs um, between the tackles as well as any running back in the league. Um, and he's the reason they've managed to win as many games as they have. Like you said, unfortunately, it looks like um, even with him playing at this MVP-like level, uh, it's just not enough in, in a strong division, in a strong conference, and when the team is just so streaky without a good quarterback. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's time. I've been a huge advocate for Christian McCaffrey being the MVP. And 
typically MVPs are not on teams that didn't make the playoffs. Um, so starting to lean my vote to Lamar Jackson, if it's not fully there. I'm honestly but, on the same page, and I thought you'd be mad at me for saying that, so I didn't. No, 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 no. You you have to be a playoff team in order to be considered for MVP. But Christian McCaffrey is as close to MVP as you can be on a non-playoff team. Um, again, he is their offense, and and that's what's sort of been the kicker for them is that, you know, they haven't been bad. Like he's put up really big numbers, and they've been, you know, fairly consistent. But, um, yeah, it's just it's disappointing. Uh, so just want to mention some names on their defense because they do have quite a talented defense. Um, so Gerald McCoy, uh, they just signed him this offseason. They have Don Terry Poe, Vernon Butler, Mario Addison. Shaq Thompson, Luke Keekley, who's one of the best linebackers in football. They have Bruce Irvin, who back in the day was a pretty, pretty good player. Um, Dante Jackson, Eric Reed, Trey Boston, James Bradbury. Like if you're a, I mean, we're football nerds, so we recognize quite a few of those names from just having seen them play over the years. But even if you're a casual fan, you recognize the majority of those names. Um, their defense should be good, right? And their defense, I mean, it, to be fair, it is pretty good, but it just doesn't make sense to me that this team isn't putting together wins. I'm, that's sort of the boat that I'm in. I just I don't quite understand why they are where they are. And, and granted, a, a very tough division and a relatively tough schedule. But um, yeah, I, I sort of had expectations that these guys would make a push for the playoffs. And yeah, again, doesn't look like that'll be the case anymore. I'm going to have to disagree with the pretty good assessment. They are 25th in points against. Um, but there is one name that I want to focus in on because this is a player who definitely gets a lot of praise but still doesn't get enough. Luke Keekley is the best linebacker of this generation and the best or the second best defensive player of this generation. Um, he's only 28, which is crazy because it feels like he's been in the league for so long. But even with a really bad concussion history, it looks like he's healthy this year. He's playing like Luke Keekley, just flying around 90 total tackles already this season, seven passes defense, two picks. Like he's a monster. I love Luke Keekley. He's a like just a solid contributor, quiet guy. You never really hear him doing too much trash talking. You never see him doing anything stupid. Just an absolutely incredible player. Hall of Fame talent already at 28 years old. And I just want to give him that shout out because he is underappreciated and more people need to know his name. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I will just say along that uh, most points given up, they did go up 51 points to the 49ers. So if you take away that outlier, they didn't on a consistent basis, they haven't given up too many points. So I, I'm still willing to say that their defense is good and their defense is, uh, gives them a chance to at least be in games or win games. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think that this team, in the future, I think that they could be really good. I don't necessarily know if Kyle Allen is their starter. Last week I said that the way he played against Green Bay showed that he could be a starter and that, you know, he, uh, he looked pretty impressive in that game. Um, he completely regressed. Uh, against the Falcons this past week. So I'm not willing to go and make any more comments about that statement. But if they can get themselves uh, a little bit more consistency in some of the places on their defense where they need to and some of the places on their offense where they need to as well, this could be a really strong team in the future. Um, again, the Saints are quite dominant in this division, so I wouldn't give them the division. But I think that this will be a team that fights for the wild card for the next two or three years. Yeah, let's talk about the Saints team. Like, honestly... <laughs> um... They're so good that there's not much to be said. Drew Brees, um, easily one of the, the top three quarterbacks of the last 15 years. Um, he goes down and Teddy Bridgewater comes in and goes 5-0 and as the starter. They they have the best backup in the league, folks, and, and that's helped them so much to the record they're at now. Alvin Kamara is one of the best weapons in the league. His stats have not been top, top-notch this year. He missed a couple uh, games, a, too. 
yeah, he's he's missed some games. Um, Latavius Murray came in, and again, incredible one-two punch at running back. Um, they have Michael Thomas, who is arguably the best receiver in football right now. They, they're a great offense and easily one of the best teams in the league right now. Defensively, um, yeah, you know, kind of a, the weird outlier again where they're sixth in yards, but but 12th in points defensively. So they do struggle to stop teams from scoring. That has to do with not having a lot of big names. They have a few guys here and there. I mean, Marshawn Lattimore is one of the better corners in football. Von Bell is a solid enough safety. Cam Jordan um, is one of the better pass rushers in the NFL. Besides that, they don't have a lot. But yeah, they're a great football team. They're a Super Bowl threat. They're easily a top five roster in the league right now. Definitely. Um, I, <laughs> I'm i not just saying this because Alvin Kamara is one of my favorite players to watch, but it seems like they're a lot more successful when they get the ball in his hands. Um, featuring him in the receiving game, featuring him in the running game, just getting the ball in his hands seems to be a, a big contributor to their success. Michael Thomas is arguably the best receiver in the league. Um, just absolutely dominating, and I'll make that statement week in and week out. Uh, when Anytime you have a receiver consistently making 13 catches, even though the other team knows that that's your main receiving threat, that just blows me away. Um, so that's absolutely amazing. They don't really have a great number two receiver there. I think that's sort of been their void. And if there is a team that can come in and can play a strong game against Michael Thomas, who knows who will step up as that second receiver. But when you have weapons like Alvin Kamara, sometimes that forces a defense to be, um, you know, a little bit more uncoordinated in how they cover off uh, your top receiver too. So and it's also Taysom Hill with all the weird things he can do, right? That plays into it for sure. You can confuse yeah, but, that people by putting out this QB tight end wide receiver kick returner running back player. Fair enough. I mean, not that he has that much of a con. Like, I don't think he'll contribute that much when they. Ten catches, fourteen carries, two passes on the season. He touches the ball. Fair enough. But if he, if it gets down to it, and they're in a playoff game against the 49ers defense, do you think the 49ers defense are going to get tripped up if Taysom Hill steps in the game and and runs a read option? I, I would say I mean, no. You and I both know in professional football, sometimes all you need to do is get the defense off balance a little bit to break off a big gain, though. You never know. Fair enough. I well, I I won't make too much of a statement there. But anyways, this offense is good. Maybe just that one more weapon at the receiver spot would make them um, even better than they already are. But yeah, their defense is is playing pretty well. Um, I think their offensive line might be a little bit of a question. I know one of their offensive linemen just went down. I want to say Andres Peeth just went down, or Taron Armstead. Uh, one of the two just went down with an injury last week against the Falcons, and that's when the Falcons' D-line was just absolutely killing Breeze. So... If they can stay healthy on the offensive line, um, I think just their offense alone can keep them in a lot of games and can win them games against some of these top-tier teams. Um, I mentioned it already a couple times throughout this episode that they play the 49ers later this year, and that'll be a real test for both teams to see how they match up against each other and will give us a, a good idea of what the NFC playoff picture looks like and who truly is the best team in the division, or sorry, in the conference. So I'm really excited to see that because I think everyone is willing to stake the Saints as the, the number two team in the NFC, or for the most part. I mean, that's somewhat controversial with the uh, Seahawks playing as well as they are. But if the Saints are the number two team in the NFC right now, um, I, I want to see them play the Packers. I want to see them play the 49ers. I want to see them play the Seahawks, even though they did earlier this year. Um, I want to see them, you know, put it all together, of course, and I think that they are a Super Bowl threat this year. Um, I think they really do have a chance to beat the 49ers. And I don't know if I'm willing to say they make it to the Super Bowl, but they should have last year. Maybe this is their year. I, like maybe things will just go down that way. Who knows? 
And that is our breakdown of the NFC South. It is really a, a weird division with teams performing not necessarily how you'd expect them to, but um, one that definitely contains some really fun players, some really fun offenses, and some really good pass rushers. Adam, why don't you break down a couple of the, the really cool tweets that we saw this week? Yeah, so two really quick ones. For those of you that don't follow the Baltimore Ravens Twitter, do it. It'll make your day. They're absolutely phenomenal. Um, absolutely love seeing the content that they put out. One of the tweets that they put out was Mark Ingram sort of posed in the end zone after he scored his touchdown. And I guess they called it the Mark Ingram slide or something along these lines. And they actually went and made this video of him like shooting out of a cannon and him being a bowling ball. And it was just absolutely hilarious what they put together. Um, again, their Twitter page is unreal. So go check out that video. It had me laughing for quite a long time. So that was awesome. Another tweet that had me laughing quite a bit was the Colts celebrated the touchdown this past week by Quentin Nelson. They're like amazing guard doing a keg stand. So they actually celebrated it by pretending to do a keg stand in the end zone after a touchdown, which I thought was pretty creative and just so wacky. But hey, when you're Quinton Nelson and you're the best guard in football or arguably the best guard in football, you do what you want. So um, yeah, that was another cool tweet that I saw this week was that celebration. Yeah, we always love to see players showing their personality on the field when the league loosened up the, uh, the celebration rules a couple seasons ago. It really opened up just a lot of, of really fun personality to get to see. Um, but finally, as, as we close up for today, we have our clues of the week. And after a nice strong showing by me last week, I'm pretty proud of it. I'm sitting at 11 and 9. Adam is 10 and 10. But here we go with our three clues for week 12. Will Jacoby Brissett throw for more yards than Deshaun Watson in their head-to-head -head matchup? <laughs> I know you're going to say Deshaun Watson does, so I'm going to say that Jacoby Brissett will throw for more yards in this game than Deshaun Watson. What about yourself? Yeah, no question taking Deshaun Watson on this one. <laughs> Into our second gonna... clue then. Aaron Rodgers, will he throw for less than 200 yards against the really, really strong 49ers defense? I'm going to say, yes, he will throw for less than 200 yards. He hasn't been throwing for all that many yards the past couple weeks. This is a stronger defense than he's seen. Um, yeah, I'm willing to bet that he throws for less than 200 yards. And you're really wanting the risk he takes this time around. This is... This is a no-brainer for me. The The game is going to be on Aaron Rodgers' back if they want to win. He's definitely going to go up over 200 yards against this D. It's going to be the running game. I think that's going to struggle if if one of the two halves of the offense will get slowed down. Um, finally, we have two teams that we've definitely talked about a lot lately. Will the Rams lose to the Ravens by more than 10 points? Yeah, why not? Honestly, the way that the Ravens are playing, they've just been dominating teams. And that includes the Patriots as well in the last couple of weeks. So they dominated, um, maybe dominated isn't the word, but they, they played the Patriots very well. They dominated the Bengals. They dominated the Texans. I have no doubt they dominate the Rams the way the Rams are playing right now. Part of me really does want to say yes to this, but part of me also sees Brandon Cooks coming back this week um, and two really big performances by a team. And it's really, really hard to really just overpower NFL teams week in and week out. So I think the Rams are losing. I'm, I'm not even putting a question mark on that, but I think that they might be able to keep this game close. I'd like to see um, Cooks, Cup, and Woods all have big games, and even Gerald Everett at tight end. I think that they'll probably be able to expose this Baltimore defense and keep the game close. Um, but with that, we want to thank you so much for joining us. Obviously, this was a Skype recording this time around, which was unfortunate, but um, I think now we'll have six weeks in a row or so where we'll be 
um, in person with our, our full audio setup, and we'll have our nice high-quality audio. As always, we would love if you would um, share this with your friends who, who love the NFL. We would love if you would follow us on Twitter at GoalLineFade, but replace that um, the I in line with a one. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the, the reviews, the ratings that we've been getting, and we will see you guys all again next week.